<clears throat> okay, just want to give you some clarification. Have you ever had one of those, something that was like a puzzle and you were having trouble figuring it out or and then somebody kind of clued you in as to what it was about and then you, you were, then from there you were able to like make the connections. They just gave you a couple hints or whatever and then you're able to make the connections. Uh, there, there are different things that uh, happened that way. I can remember there was a show I was watching and then uh, Kim and I were watching it together and then somebody, I, I read online that, that the person that did the costumes for the people uh, would use certain colors, like you could tell who the bad guys were. They would they would uh, foreshadow that with the, the colors that they were wearing. And so that made it a whole new experience. Uh, when you watch the show, you kind of get clued in as to who was who was uh, had bad motives and who had good motives and that different things like that. Psalm eight is very much like that. Okay, God has a plan, and and, and the the whole point of this psalm, in summary, is that that we are to praise the Lord for His reign. He is ruling, and He has a plan, and He is working that plan, and. And some of you are, are old like me, and you'll remember the A-team, and there was the guy that would say, man, I love it when a plan comes together, right? I mean, I just kind of envision God like that, right? Like, he's, he's given us some clues in the Old Testament. New Testament comes along. Satan's oblivious to what the plans are. God defeats him when he resurrects Jesus from the dead. It's just great. But God's, God's plans have no chance of failing, right? I mean, because he's God. And so with Psalm 8, we're to praise the Lord for his reign. And we have a psalm that's not technically uh, labeled as a messianic psalm, but I think we'll see today that it is very much a messianic psalm. Uh, And so with that, I want us to just read the whole psalm together. And then we'll make some observations. Then we'll see what the New Testament says about it and that type of thing. I want you to notice as we read through this, God's going to use some spatial words, right? He's, he's going to use words like above and lower, and then he's going to use things like glory. He's setting his glory above the heavens, and so it's the highest thing. And, and But then the Son of Man's going to get glory and that type of thing. Those are just some, some cues that can can uh, help you see. And then he's going to talk about dominion, which is his reign, right? And so uh, just kind of pay attention to a few of those. Hopefully they'll become clearer as we we read through the uh, go through the sermon today. But Psalm 8 to the choir master, according to the Giddeth, uh, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord. Now, I, I just want to take time teach you a minute, all capitals Lord is Yahweh. Okay, That's his covenant name. It's his his ruling over his covenant people. So all caps Lord is like that. Then he says our Lord, and it's just a capital L with lowercase o-r-d. That's the word Adonai. It means master or ruler or king. Okay, so O Yahweh... My master or my king. Okay. And boy, if I could change, if I could change two things about our English translations, I would differentiate those words instead of to, to where verbally, 
Verbally, you can tell what I'm talking about instead of just having to look at capital letters. Okay, that I would change that, and then I would change the plural used to y'alls. So, so with that, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion Over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So some observations we have. The Lord, our king, is to be praised for his wondrous creation and the son of man's exalted place of dominion over it. We have that creation language from Genesis there in verses six through eight. So the Lord's glory is set up as higher than the heavens. The second thing to note is that. Despite this psalm being about creation and its wonderful creation, we have some things that seem off, right? There's enemies here. But I love here the singing of children or the voice of children will silence the Lord's enemies. Like God's enemies think that they're so tough, right? The nations rage. The Lord laughs. (laughs) You know. Infants, children, their voices are going to silence the Lord's enemies. Mankind here is destined to rule over all God's creation. Notice in verse 3 it says the works of your fingers. But then it says you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. So we have the heavenly places that God made. We're made a little lower than the heavenly beings, but yet we're placed over all things. All these things are going to work out, Lord willing, as we go through this. But what about these foes, the enemies, the avengers, and then also these heavenly beings, the angels in verse five? There are two groups that are currently resisting the Lord's rule. There's the human enemies of God who are resisting his rule and his reign. But then there's also the heavenly beings. Now, who are the heavenly beings? Well, that'd be the the spiritual beings. And there's two categories of those guys. There's there's the, the good angels, if you will. And then there's Satan and his minions, the demons and all those guys who are resisting God's reign on the earth. And so. If we go back into Genesis, and I'll just quickly say this, we we talked about it in the Genesis series. Uh, When 
when God dispersed the nations, and actually we're getting ready to get onto that in, in chapter 12, he disperses the nations and he puts them under the rule of the rebellious angels. Okay, and then he starts over with Abraham. He says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to be my people out of Abraham. But through Abraham, he's going to reclaim the nations. He's going to bless the nations. So we've got that underlying thing going on here. So these the nations and they're the 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 evil beings that are ruling them are resisting the Lord's reign. So we've got the heavenly beings who are. Uh, leading the people in rebellion. So we have people who are following Satan in his ways. So in chart number one on your handout, and then I hopefully have it up here. Good. Chart number one, I'm a visual learner. Okay, so I'm trying to help you here. I hope this is clear. But chart number one, we have the Lord in all his majesty and glory. He's. He's set his glory above the heavens. So he's the highest being that there is. And then we have the heavenly beings, which is composed of the good angels and the spiritual forces of evil, that we are, as humanity, made lower than. And we see the Son of Man and then the children of the Son of Man and then the enemies of God. Okay, in that chart. And that's Psalm 8. Verses 1 through 5, verse A, because then in chart number 2, you'll see that there's a, a transition. The, the Son of Man is brought away from humanity, where he's made a little bit lower, and he's given glory and dominion and honor. So he's raised up there to just below the Lord. So we have the Lord, and then we have the Son of Man being crowned, with glory, honor, and dominion. And then we still have the heavenly beings and we have humanity. So with that in mind, let's see what clues the New Testament gives us to help us understand what's going on in Psalm 8. We're going to turn to Matthew 21. And I've also given it to you on your handout. How did Jesus view Psalm 8? Because he quotes it. Now, we're coming to the point in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the temple. Okay, he curses the fig tree, then he goes and he cleanses the temple. And then when he leaves the temple just after our story here, when he comes back the next day, it's withering. So so he's cursing the temple as a place of prayer. It's the place of his presence. It's no longer going to be that. He's going to indwell his people with his spirit after the resurrection. So he's he's come to the temple, he's cleansed the temple. And when then we come into Matthew 21, verse 14, and it says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. OK, so now the children are singing. They're quoting a psalm, which Hosanna, which means save now. Okay, Hosanna to the son of David. So they are recognizing Jesus as the Messiah here. Hosanna to the son of David. It's a messianic title. They're singing in verse 16. These chief priests and scribes are indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? 
And Jesus said to them, yes, I do. Have you have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise. Now, keep in mind, in our psalm, it says strength, but he is overcoming the enemies in our psalm with the voices of infants. Right. So it's praises of a proper interpretation of that out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. So now take note of what's going on here. Jesus is in the temple, which was built for the worship of the Lord. Children are praising Jesus as the Messiah. Instead of rebuking the children, Jesus receives their praise and quotes Psalm 8. But Psalm 8 is referring to children praising who? The Lord. It speaks of the Lord preparing praise for himself from children in order to silence his enemies. Did you catch that? The Lord has prepared praise from children for himself. Jesus is receiving praise from children in the temple of God. What is Jesus saying about himself? Who is he? He's the Lord, right? He is the Lord. Now, in the context of Psalm 8, then, who is he saying that the scribes and Pharisees are and the chief priests? They're the enemies. They're the enemies that Jesus, that God is silencing. So in the context of Matthew, we see Jesus, who is God in the flesh, coming to the temple in judgment upon the temple and its leaders. So Jesus viewed Psalm 8 as identifying himself as the Lord and the chief priests and scribes as the Lord's enemies. Jesus is the ideal son of man who was resurrected to rule over all creation. So that's how Jesus viewed Psalm 8. And we see the same thing in, in, in as we look at the church's view on Psalm 8 and look at first the author of Hebrews view of Psalm 8. OK, so now if we flip over to, to chart number three, we'll just real quickly. I'm going to give you the chart first and then we'll read it and hopefully it'll make a little more sense. But chart three there is describing this present age. And that's what that's what the uh Saw, or the author of Hebrews is going to get out, get at. He's talking about the new creation, but he's saying that right now we see that Psalm 8 verses 5 through 8 are representing this present age. And there we see the Lord and then Jesus is the son of man. So Jesus is crowned with glory, honor and dominion. Then we have the heavenly beings. And then we have human humanity as those in Christ and the enemies of God. Okay? So that's how he's describing this. Let's look through let's read through Hebrews chapter 2 verses 5 through 10. I'll make some comments as we go. And he's arguing how Jesus is better than the angels. Hebrews is this constant defense of Jesus as being greater than Moses, greater than the angels, that, that type of thing. And he says, so we jump into that argument. It was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Okay, what's the world to come? The world to come is the new creation when everything is made new. Okay, so he's he's saying that the son of man is the one that God has subjected the world to come. And then 
he quotes our psalm. Now, he makes me feel better as a pastor because he can't remember exactly where it is. He says, it has been testified somewhere. Well, we know it's Psalm 8, okay? It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, that ends the quote of Psalm 8. And then he explains, now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control at present. So now he's talking about the present. He's saying that the world to come, the new creation is what we're talking about, has been subjected to the Son of Man. But at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. We still have the enemies. We still have the spiritual beings who are uh, resisting God's rule. Verse 9, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Now that's quoting our psalm. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing, bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So here we see in this present age, Jesus has been resurrected to be with the Lord in glory. He is, Jesus has been crowned with glory, honor and dominion after being made a little lower than the heavenly beings he was made as a man, he came as a man. But notice Hebrews 2.10 again, because there is a future hope for us to be brought into glory with Christ. He says, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So there is a coming age, the world to come as it says in Hebrews 2, 5, where the sons of God will be glorified to rule in the new creation with Christ. The author of Hebrews viewed Psalm 8 as describing the transition from the world as it is now with human and divine enemies to the new creation. So we're seeing this transition happening. That's how the author of Hebrews viewed Psalm 8. Very similarly, in Psalm 8, Paul viewed Psalm 8 and 1 Corinthians. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's the chapter that begins with the gospel and ends with the resurrection. Okay. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul viewed Psalm 8 as describing the final transition where all enemies to Christ's rule will be removed and the new creation began. And he's going to also incorporate Psalm 110. So he's going to use Psalm 8 in conjunction with Psalm 110 to prove what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, Psalm 110, verse 1 says, The Lord, all capital letters, says to my Lord, Adonai, King. So, the, Yahweh says to my King, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Okay? So, and that is quoted as the resurrection. God resurrects Jesus 
to the throne. And he says, you sit here and you wait until I bring your enemies, uh, until I make your enemies your footstool. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. And he's talking about we're, we're, we're a son. We're all sons of Adam. But when we're born again, we're born again as sons of Christ. So we're either in Adam or we're in Christ. And he's contrasting that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. So he's talking about the resurrection. If you're in Christ, you will be resurrected. Verse 23. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. So there's, here's that transition point. When he delivers the kingdom of God, or the, delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And then he quotes Psalm 110. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For, now he quotes Psalm 8, God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. In other words, God the Father is not subject to God the Son. God the Son willingly submitted to the Father. Okay, so he's not going to be put above God the Father, he's going to be put with him, right? That's what he's saying there. And then he says, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. And so there's this time when when Christ is going to come and he's going to deliver the kingdom, he's going to deliver the kingdom citizens, those who have been born again, he's going to resurrect them, bring them to the Father, And then the new creation begins and we then reign over everything. But part of that part of that reign, that transition period is that God's enemies will be judged. Right. Human enemies will be judged. But also the uh, principalities and powers in the spiritual realm who are leading people in wickedness, they will be judged. Okay, and we'll get into that a little bit more as we look at what Ephesians says. <coughs> but they're going to be judged by us. In other words, we are to be an example as the church of Christ's reign here on this earth. There's a better way than power and money to rule. And it's to rule Christ's way. And so it's the way of love and submission to the Father. And one day, God's going to say, see, I told you. He's going to say to the heavenly beings, see, I told you this was the better way. And he's going to judge them. And this goes into 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 3. The church there, Corinth, was taking one another uh, to, to the courts. They were suing one another. And he's, and he's rebuking them for that. And in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 3, he says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? In other words, the church can handle this. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, 
Excuse me, I lost my foot. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? And then he makes this statement, which forever was troublesome to me. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? And for most of my life, it's been like, well, no, Paul, I didn't know that. But now it's a little more obvious. And we'll see that in Ephesians. But God's God is saying to the principalities and powers in this world, the spiritual beings of this world who are leading the world in destruction. He's saying to them, there's a better way. And it's the way that you will see in the church. And one day he's going to judge those heavenly beings. And we're going to be, there's going to be a flip-flop. Suddenly, the sons of man are going to be above the angels in the creation order. Okay? So in the new creation, we have a new order of dominion. And so if you look at chart number four, this is the age to come. Now in the new creation, we see the Lord in all his majesty and glory, Jesus crowned with glory, Honor and dominion. And then instead of the heavenly beings, now we see the new humanity. This is the glorified children of men. Excuse me, the glorified children of the Son of Man, Christ, also known as the kingdom. I've struck out the enemies of God. They've been destroyed. Right. Then we see the heavenly beings. These are the good angels who are following the Lord. And then. In the new creation, which comes after Satan and his angels are cast into the lake of fire, they're destroyed, and then we move into the new creation. Okay, and so I've given you, and on all those charts over on the left, dominion comes from the top down. Okay? So now let's look over to Psalm 8 in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll see a little more, pretty much the same thing Paul is saying. But we'll see this church idea brought in a little bit more. Paul viewed Psalm 8 as describing Christ's authority to rule over all things now and in the new creation. But in this age, presently, it's only the church that submits to his rule. The church submits willingly to the rule of Christ. So in other words, Christ has authority over everything. But the only ones that are submitting to Christ's rule are the people of the church. Okay, hopefully you'll be able to see that in Ephesians 1, verse 19 through 23. And I just gave you a kind of a summary of what came before that. Paul is praying for them and he says, I pray that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then he quotes Psalm 8 and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so in this present age, Christ has been resurrected to rule and to reign. And we are brought, we will be brought to reign with him in the new creation. But right now we submit to his rule and his reign now in the church. And we display his rule and reign to the world. 
but also to the spiritual beings in the heavenly places who are rebelling against God. And that's how God's going to show his wisdom to them. He's like, look at these humans. They're submitting to me and they're following me and they're not doing it in the way that you are ruling the the, the nations. And so we have the people of the church and then we have the enemies of God. And if you're here this morning and you are not a born again believer, then I urge you to listen carefully to what he says now, because we we won't, we don't, you don't want to be an enemy of God when it all goes down, right? You want to be his people. How do we, how do we stop being an enemy of God and become a child of God? We see that in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9. Because we're going to see how we were following the prince of the power of this air, of the air. That's Satan and his rulers. And our desires and our lusts. We're ruled and reigned by Satan and our lusts. That's what we were. And he's writing to the church, so he's going to talk in the past tense here. And he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. All have sinned and fallen short of being in the presence of the glory of God, as we're seeing in Psalm 8. We were all there. And maybe you're there this morning. But you don't have to stay there. Look at what God does for believers in verse four. But God being rich in mercy. okay. now mercy is not giving you what you deserve. okay? and you may be here this morning and you say, Pastor, you don't know how bad a sinner I am. I've sinned so much. I don't think God can forgive me. I want you to notice that. God doesn't just show mercy. He's rich in it. He's rich in it. You know, the little the, the old, the old cartoon of uh, Scrooge McDuck and he'd open up his bank vault and he'd go in and he'd play around in his gold coins. He was just so rich. Hey, God's rich in mercy. He got more than enough to forgive you. More than enough mercy for you. What a God. But God being rich in mercy And he's not just rich in mercy, but he has this great love because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is giving you something you don't deserve. Right? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. He saves us by his grace. Verse six, and he raised us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, in the new creation, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the new creation, 
I think I even said this last week, right? I mean, it, there's just some people you're just like, I don't think God could save them. And I think we're going to get to heaven and we're going to look and our, our next door neighbor and we're going to say, you don't deserve to be here. And they're going to look at us and say, you don't either. Right. Immeasurable riches of grace in kindness. It's like we're just walking around heaven and go, man, I just don't deserve this. What what a kind and gracious God. But notice verse eight. And for, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your savior, here it is. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God chooses to save you and he chooses to save you through the means of faith. And so if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, as your savior, it could be that God has opened your eyes this morning. You realize the vastness of your sin and the wonders of what Christ did for you on the cross and in his death, burial and resurrection to be a ruler of all. And God would have you this morning to place your faith in Jesus Christ as the one who died for your sins and was resurrected to rule and to reign. And so I urge you today, turn from your sins. Ask God to forgive you because of what Christ did for you. And then follow him as the king of your life. In this present age, we, the church, are to represent the rule of Christ to the world. And this will demonstrate God's wisdom to the spiritual forces of evil. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. And verse 8, he's, I love all these descriptions. Uh, immeasurable, unsearchable. God is a wonderful God. Ephesians 3, verse 8, Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Remember, I told you that God disinherited the nations, but somehow through the Abrahamic promise, he was going to go back and get them. Well, that's through Jesus Christ. Right. The, the nations have been ruled by false gods. Little G gods, if you will, these spiritual authorities in the heavenly places, and they've done a terrible job of it. But God is coming back and saying, hey, I'm going to reclaim the nations. I, I got some Texans. I got some West Virginians. I've got some Mexicans. I've got some Canadians. I've even got Germans and French and I'm going to save them and bring them out of the nations and bring them into my nation. And I'm going to show these evil authorities how wise I am. And it's because of this in Ephesians 6:12, Paul tells us we need not be focused on fighting other men. We've got a spiritual battle going on in this present age. 
Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We're soldiers of Christ going out and telling people there's a better way. Come out from under your king, Satan, and come to the true king, Jesus, and live his way. You see, Jesus is the ideal son of man who was resurrected to rule God's people until all of his enemies are defeated and the new creation begins. And in Christ, we now reign until the new creation when we will rule with Christ over all creation. There'll be no resistance to God's rule and reign in the new creation. So. The Lord, our King, is to be praised for his wonderful creation and the Son of Man's exalted place of dominion over it. And if you're not saved, if you've never been born again, I urge you again, repent of your sins and follow Christ. But for those of us who are Christians, just some applications for us. Understand that we are at war with spiritual forces as King Jesus reclaims people from every tribe tongue, and nation through the gospel. Don't get distracted with earthly kingdoms. Let me say it again. Don't get distracted with earthly kingdoms. Focus on God's kingdom. Number two, we need to share the gospel with people. That's our responsibility as citizens of God's nation. Tell others about King Jesus. Number three, ask God to reign in your life and give you wisdom over the things he's given you dominion over. There are things you're responsible for. Parents, for your children. Husbands and wives for one another. Maybe you have responsibilities at work over workers and different things like that. Pray that God will give you wisdom to rule and reign his way, not the world's way. And then next, consider Christ as the Lord of the church. You may be here this morning, you may be a Christian, but I would urge you this morning to be covenanted together as members of a church. In other words, take responsibility for a particular people in, 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 in a particular church. Be covenanted to one another. The, the local church is representing the universal church, and it's where we celebrate and represent Christ's reign. And we help one another live out Christ's commands. Well, who am I responsible for, pastor, to oversee as far as their spiritual walk? Well, it's the people you've covenanted with together in your local church. So church membership, if you're interested in church membership, there's things on the newsletter that go out. There's on our website. There's ways to do it. There are forms out in the hallway you can fill out if you're interested or just talk to me or Pastor Tad. The next one, remember that we are in a spiritual battle and that people need to know about Jesus more than they need to know about your opinions. Because it really doesn't matter what your opinion on something is. It matters what God's opinion is. And the first thing they need to understand is Christ needs to be ruling and reigning in their life. And then finally... This psalm encourages us to magnify the Lord. How majestic is your character, your reputation throughout all the earth? Brag to the Lord about himself. 
you can't overstate God's majesty and glory. Like we can brag about our spouse or our kids or if if you want to hear some real bragging, talk to me about my grandkids. Right. But but when we're bragging about other people like that, we, we can overstate things. Right. You cannot overstate. You can't brag about God too much. Right. It's not bragging if it's true. And he is set his glory above the heavens. He is the most majestic being in the universe. Brag about him. Brag to him about himself. Thank him for that magnanimous mercy and grace that he has poured out upon you in his love for you and forgiving you of your sins and transferring you into the kingdom of his dear son. What a God. Folks, Jesus is the ruling son of man who will deliver his people from his enemies and into the coming new creation. And the question this morning is, are you submitting to his rule and his reign now? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for Psalm 8 and the explanations that you give us in the gospel and of Matthew and then also in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and Hebrews. I pray, Father, that you'll make this psalm clear to your people this morning and help them to see how wonderful and how great you are and how your plan did come together in Christ and how he does rule and reign now. And then, Father, may we rejoice for those of us who have trusted Christ that we have a coming creation, a new creation where we will rule and reign with Christ without resistance from human or spiritual beings. And everybody will be following your rule and your reign. And you will be all in all. May you be glorified by our lives now, Father. Thank you for the rich grace and mercy that you've lavished upon us. In Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in His name. Amen.